Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Sloan, your bartender for today. And I'm Trish, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail, buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot! Beep beep! Today we are making a sugar cookie martini. I tried a few different variations of this, um, but I am going to give you the cheapest and best hack on how to make this martini and make it taste the most sugar cookie like. That secret is frosted sugar cookie coffee creamer. Don't worry with the white chocolate liqueur. I spent $35 on it. The thing that honestly made it taste the most like a sugar cookie was swapping out my milk for coffee creamer. So if you can find the Elf Frosted Sugar Cookie Co Coffee Creamer and you want to try this drink, that is the best, quickest hack to get this drink made. But let me continue with the actual recipe. You're going to want to use one ounce of vodka, one ounce of Irish creams, Irish cream, uh, Bailey's, we use Carolands and one ounce of your preferred milk. So you could use oat milk, regular milk, but I am telling you this coffee creamer is what makes this flavor come through. So pour all of that over ice, shake it, strain it into a martini glass. I have mine rimmed in a really cute little baker's glittery gold confetti sugar sort of situation, but I'm also extra AF. Feel free to avoid that part, but this is a great Christmas dessert cocktail that you will want to save for later. I promise. All right. So <laughs> this case, um, like I was telling you, I found on Discovery Plus, um, our favorite channel so right. far. <laughs> I was watching Your Worst Nightmare, which some people it is their worst nightmare and meanwhile i'm like this is cool <laughs> <laughs> i feel bad for the people it happens to but um those of us raised on true crime understand what you're saying <laughs> um it is the case of um don and richard heikola i've never heard about them so yes. i'm pretty excited about this one like i said it not excited. It was one that when I was watching the episode, I went, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's crazy. So, Richard Heikola was 48. Um, he was a prominent Parkinson's, if I can speak, a we'll prominent Parkinson's disease researcher. Um, he worked for Robert Wood Johnson Medical School um, at the University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey. Okay. Uh, his wife, Dawn, who was 46, was a real estate agent for Bergdorf Realtors. Sounds good to me. Um, 
So on the surface, the Heikla family looks like your all-American family. Mm-hmm. Uh, working, Don't they all? Yeah, working mom and dad. Um, apparently the mom was very, what's the word I'm looking, involved in, they have two sons. Mm-hmm. And in she was lives. very involved in their lives. Right. And then um, their what, youngest son. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their youngest son, Josh, was doing very well in school. He was applying to colleges and everything. And the all-American boy. Yeah. And then they had an adopted son, Matthew. Who, Matthew was kind of the one lone, like, little, I guess you could call it dark spot on the family. Mm-hmm. He graduated high school, but, like, he never really cared about it. Did it too, like, was too, did too well in high school. Uh, he always, he just kind of held down a series of odd jobs. Uh, he also kind of dabbled in drugs. So, okay. you have... Your golden boy, <laughs> and then you have your not golden, not boy. golden boy. Oh, my notes just scrolled. There we go. So I was like, where were we at? Um, there we are. Uh, January 29th, 1991. Dawn returned home from work. Uh, the house was dark and quiet, so she just assumed. No one was home. Kind of went about like her normal routine. And just thought maybe she'd be able to catch a few moments of quiet before everybody everybody else got there. And just a few minutes later, she found out she was not home alone. She was shot from behind in the back of the head with a shotgun. That escalated a lot more quickly than I thought we were about to go through. Um, I said that that would definitely be a worse nightmare. I would not want to find out I'm home alone. (laughs) Like, not home alone. You think you're safe in your home and no one's there. And Mm -hmm. then, like, someone just appears out of nowhere and boom. Yeah. Um, About 30 minutes later, her husband arrived home. Mm Mm-hmm. He also noticed that the house was dark and thought no one was home. Did he not see his wife's car there? She had pulled into the garage. Okay. And so it wasn't until he also went to pull into the garage that he saw his wife's car. And he was like, okay. Okay. She's home. But I guess he thought somebody. That somebody had picked her up or or something. Not that somebody picked. But I guess he thought like maybe, you know, she was upstairs doing whatever. Right. We will never know. Yeah. Um, when he walked into the house, he was greeted by his adopted son, Matthew, who at the time was 20. Dun, dun, dun. Who happened to be holding a shotgun in his hands. Who is shocked? Yes. I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, he was obviously immediately worried for his wife. Because Matthew was a troubled boy who they knew needed help. Um, apparently, 
he had had some outbursts before mm-hmm. this where they've actually had to call the cops on before okay. and that. So in a way it was like, it's a shocking sight to see like someone who <laughs> you think you can trust, yeah. like holding a shotgun, but at the same time, it's also like for them, it wasn't. You saw the warning signs, but at the same time, like that's your family. You still hoped that it wouldn't come to this. Yes. Um, Matthew told Richard his wife was in the cellar and um, he wanted him to go down there with her um, as he was. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. <laughs> Nothing good ever comes from a cellar, people. Wine comes from a cellar. I mean, ma'am. that there's there's a few things, but ma'am. if someone with a shotgun is telling you to head to a cellar, nothing good is coming your way. I mean, yeah, but at this point, like, you gotta, you kind of, you have two choices. You either turn away and he's gonna shoot you, probably, or, like, you can try to calm him down by talking to him, especially if he's your son and you think you can get somewhere. Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Um, Plus he thinks his wife is alive down there. Yeah. As he was heading down, Matthew shot him in the back of the head as well. No. Mm-hmm. And the story does not start stop there. Right, they still have another son. <laughs> well, luckily that son was away at college. Okay. So. That makes me feel a little, a little bit. Right. <laughs> um... So, as I said, Matthew is a very troubled boy. Yeah. Or man. Whatever you want to call him. 20-year-old. <laughs> he, later that night, took his girlfriend, Linda Perez, out to a fancy dinner in New York City atop the no. world. Yeah. Atop, um, the Empire. they said, the World Trade Center. Yeah. Linda was also 20, and the 29th just happened to also be her birthday, which is why they were going to this big fancy dinner. No. This is so sad. (laughs) Uh, Linda is a daughter of a hardworking immigrant. Um, She was very smart. She got into St. Elizabeth College on scholarships. So why was she with this loser? Right. I mean, I guess you can't help who you love. The red flags do not speak to everybody, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's that's true. I just... Knowing where this is heading. Yeah. Um, and also, Matthew is described to be very charismatic. So... Okay. That makes sense. I mean, sense. if you're a smooth talker, you can usually... That's, yeah. Yeah. So he's not actually a loser. He's just... No, he's just... A garbage human he, being. He's not all up there. <laughs> right. Right. Um, he also is has dark hair and was described as very good looking. Which, when I look at the picture, I mean, he doesn't do anything for me, but... <laughs> we will have that on Instagram <sighs> for y'all to decide for yourselves. Right. Um, but... As the show and the articles that I read go on to describe, their relationship was far from perfect. Um, a week before her birthday, Linda had actually gone to Mexico with some friends. And you go, girl. Right? Take me with you. <laughs> you go, girl. When 
she came back, Matthew accused her of cheating and sleeping with other men, even though he had no proof of this happening. That was the next question <laughs> I had, was what proof did he have? He just, in his mind, thought she was cheating on because she's this oh, good-looking girl, and how, like, how could she not? Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. Yes. Um, but also, like, he thinks this, but also, like, he was also the very first boy she ever slept with, and, like, she, <laughs> admit she loved him. Yeah. So. He had nothing to base that on, <laughs> yeah. other than his own personal insecurities, insecurities about yes. life. Um, and then apparently he also really liked to kind of boast and like remind her about the fact that he was her first. Right. So like he had a sort of ego about it too. So Yuck. circling back to when Matthew was leaving his house, meanwhile his parents are both dead at this In point. The cellar. Uh the mother is actually not in the cellar. She oh. was upstairs in like it was like a two-story house, I, already I guess. I forgot about that. She's upstairs, like, basically in the upstairs hallway or, like, her, like, room. It was very unclear about exactly where she was, but she mm -hmm. was upstairs. Right. Okay. So, she's upstairs, and then the father was on his way to the, right. to the cellar. Um, But, so, the parents are both dead at this point Matthew decides he's going to steal his father's credit cards and his mom's car <laughs> to take his girlfriend to New York which they say it was about a 45 minute drive right from like where they're located in New Jersey to New York I mean, um, it takes 45 minutes just to get into New York City, right? so I don't yeah. know what helicopter car they're using. This is also in the 90s. I guess you could so... have taken a train, too. Yeah. Okay. So um, shut up. You act like you... <laughs> I don't know nothing about New York. Uh, but I yeah. know very little about New York. So he stole his father's credit cards and mom's car, which apparently stealing his father's credit cards, this is not the first time he's done this, so... I mean, you got to pay for your habits and your girlfriend right. somehow. Um, Matthew ordered a steak at dinner, <laughs> but he couldn't even finish it because it just reminded him of what he had done at his parents' house. Oh, I mean, at least that's a sign of conscience. Somewhere. Yeah, it's a small, small little sign. Somewhere. Uh, after dinner, Matthew wanted to take her for another surprise back at his place, which he lived with his parents. Don't go, girl. <laughs> Don't go. Like I said, it was about a 45 minute drive, so there's yeah. a long way for him to like be planning like his next move right. and everything. Uh, if they, it wasn't already planned. Yeah. Around 11 p.m., they arrive at the Heikola house. Don't go in. When they arrived, he took Linda upstairs for her surprise and showed her what he had done to his mother. No. No. Yeah. Can you imagine? I oh, being on a date. You're, you're 20. With your high school yeah. sweetheart. You're 20 years old. 
you think <sighs> you have, you know, at your t this time you think he is right. one that you love. <laughs> Take a sip for yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, like I said, this was the literally the episode that as more got, like, unraveled, I was just like, no! <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. So, he showed her the, what he had done to his mother. Um, obviously, she's freaking out at this point. And he tells her that his father is also dead. And said the same would come to her by the end of the night. Oh, girl. <laughs> um, he didn't, like, he just said by the end of the It was basically like, you now know, so I have to kill to you. And that, um, she somehow, like, convinces him to, like, hold off, hold off, don't, don't do it. You go, So girl. he... Ends up handcuffing himself to Linda so that she can't run away while he decides he's going to try to sleep. Linda. Uh, he forced her to sleep next to him. That is a whole new definition of coyote ugly. <laughs> yeah. That is... In the movie, she says, you know, you would gnaw your arm off instead of waking up the guy. That is the definition of coyote ugly right yes. there. I would be gnawing... <laughs> it yeah so he falls asleep apparently right away she on the other hand obviously can't sleep at all and then in the morning that Linda is so traumatic right and like from the sounds of it like it's almost like they sleep in the same room that like the, the mothers body, yeah I mean that so wouldn't... like I couldn't even begin to imagine the amount of therapy she is going to <laughs> right? need if she survives this. So in the morning, Linda was able to talk Matthew into not killing her. Instead, she decided, like, she somehow talked him into running away together. And Matthew and all of his bright idea was like, sure, let's go to Jamaica. <laughs> I was just about to kill you because I didn't trust you, but now we can run away across the world together. Yeah. So, he decides they need to go to Jamaica. And then this gives Linda her, her, out. pretty much her out. Because she goes, well, we have, if we're going to go to Jamaica, I have to go get my passport. So, we have to go yeah. to my mom's house. Yeah. And he agrees. Dumbass. He knows, yes, you do need your passport. Dumbass. So, <laughs> so they... Like, he packs up some of his stuff and that. Right. Let's her. As one does. Yeah. And then they go to um, her mom's apartment. Her mother, Estelle Perez. When she, she's there. So when they're, like, she hears... Her daughter come home and mm -hmm. that and kind of kind of hears Matthew and that yeah. she obviously wants to see what's going on because her daughter should technically be in class right now. Yeah. So she's wondering why her daughter is not in class. So she, she doesn't know that her daughter has been kidnapped and held yes. hostage all night long. <laughs> yes. So she confronts them and when they pretty much say, oh, they're going... 
they're going to go away to Jamaica, her mom obviously loses her says, shit. No, <laughs> you can't go. Good mom. Right. So she argues with Matthew for a few minutes, and then Matthew just says, Fine, I'll go myself. And leaves Linda with the mom. Okay. So that's not what I was expecting. Right. So thank God, thank God for mom. Right. Saving your daughter from this psycho. <laughs> but yeah, that could have gotten gone right? a lot differently. So after he leaves, um, she obviously breaks down. Right. And she just she's like screaming, you know, call the cops and that and the mom's trying to figure out what like what Why has happened. Like what is yeah. what is so wrong. <laughs> And everything. Like, everything was just fine and dandy a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. You were going to Jamaica with your boyfriend. Right. And now, all of a sudden... Um, before leaving for Jamaica, Matthew then calls Linda and tells her that if she went to the police and told them what he did, he would kill her. <clears throat> so, that's a whole nother level of, like, therapy there. Because... Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, but also if he's going, if he's gonna come and kill you before he leaves, like all this. And now your mother's involved in this. So that's not just therapy, but that's a whole level like level of fear. Yeah. Especially for a 20-year-old. Yes. After this phone call and everything, she decides, you know what? We're still going to call and everything. Good call, Mom. Good right. call. Um, so they talk to the police and try to, like, tell them, you know, what's going on. But Lil do Linda and um, Estelle know that the parents' co-workers also received, like, a phone call from Matthew telling them that his parents had gone to Josh's college because <laughs> Josh had been in a serious accident. So, like, he thinks he has his bases covered. Everything's gonna be fine. Right. Like, she shouldn't call because... She's fearing him. And then, like, he's taking care of the co-workers. Everything. But, you now have Linda and the mom that have called and contacted police about this. That. And... One of the mother's co-workers decided she wanted to check on his story, like, Matthew's story for herself. And she right. calls Josh's college. Good call. To check on Josh. And she found out Josh was fine and actually hadn't spoken to his parents in a few days. So, this obviously is trigger right. them to be like oh my gosh so well, and they, they know that like the co-workers kind of probably know that he's a problem child so like yeah i assume that was probably a red flag for that co-worker to be like yeah so they contact the police and pretty much ask for a welfare check to be done mm -hmm. so you have two different, like, sets of police basically being dispatched or, like, told for this the same stuff. people. So, she, so the police end up getting to the residence. They gain entry to the house and find the remains of 
Richard and Dawn. So I don't even. I've heard. I've never seen what like a shotgun does to yeah somebody in person. But like I've, I've heard seen stories. Dexter. I do not. I I could not even imagine. The I've seen the police walked in on. I've seen Dexter. <laughs> All right. So you have the police have now discovered Richard and Don. Matthew has fled to Jamaica. Um, and then basically the police are on a like manhunt for Matthew at this point, trying to figure out where he could go. They ask, they ask Linda, this poor woman who has this been through hell and back traumatized 20 year old i'm not emotionally mature enough to deal with this stuff at 30 like (laughs) i can't yeah i was a young naive little country girl going to (laughs) what like to cincinnati for school so like i know myself i was not yeah even anywhere where i could emotionally have dealt with any of this yeah so they ask her, you know, did he say where he might possibly be going? And she automatically was like, Jamaica. We had decided on Jamaica. Other than that, I have no clue. I just, I want to be safe in that. So, like, they post police outside Good. the house and that and make sure she always has, like, kind of an escort wherever she's going. Just one to make her feel safe and also right. try to help keep her safe. Matthew, Matthew, on the other hand, while in Jamaica, has told everyone that he (laughs) comes into contact that his parents had been killed by a mugger in New York. This dumbass. (laughs) So he just, he starts making all these friends because people felt so sorry for him. Like, oh, you poor poor orphan. orphan. You, your parents have been murdered. By you, but we don't know that. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, we know that. We know that, but they don't know this. Oh, goodness. So, we all know that he likes to use his father's credit cards. Right. While in Jamaica, he said he's going to use his father's credit cards to get money. I'm sure he did. How else was he going to get money? He does not sound like the type to go yeah. out and find a job immediately after murdering his parents. Yes. So, obviously, this makes it very easy for police to find him. Right. So, they already knew to kind of be looking in Jamaica, but then you're using your father's credit cards in Jamaica. (laughs) You have given them a X marks the spot. (laughs) I am here. Come and find me. (laughs) So, February 4th, 1991. So, you know, this was January 30th is when, like, The parents were discovered. So this is just a few days later. Mm -hmm. Um, Matthew was arrested in Jamaica and was questioned about murdering his parents. When he was in police custody in Jamaica, he changed his story so many times. I'm sure he did. Um, He would say he remembered nothing. Then he would give like exact details and everything so like he's just 
all over the place. He has no game plan for any of this. <laughs> he was winging it. I think he really honestly thought he was just going to be able to live his life out in Jamaica. And nope. not be bothered. Yeah. You chose the wrong place to go to, man. <laughs> Should have chosen. Never mind. Don't give out tips. <laughs> Don't give out tips. But if I was to give out tips, you would choose a country that does not have extradic- extradic- Ex- can't be they can't extradited yeah. to America. Yeah. I'm not smart with words, but I'm smart with knowledge. <laughs> so, Captain Anthony Bucari of Somerset Police Department travel had traveled to Jamaica to kind of be there as, like, the American to supervise. Yeah. So, and to make sure things were handled so, like, it couldn't end up carrying, like, a mistrial or right. anything like that. Basically covered their bases. Yeah. He was in Jamaica. He made sure to read him his Miranda rights. And an FBI agent basically supervised and extraditing him back to the U.S. Nice. Matthew was held in Somerset County Jail. Um, and while he was there, he decided instead of, you know, just keeping quiet and not drawing any more, like, suspicion or basically giving any sort of prosecution anything else to go on and get him with Mm -hmm. he decides he's going to write numerous letters to numerous people okay he writes letters to linda (laughs) he writes letters to i told you not to tell anybody now i'm gonna come kill you from jail all right he writes letters to the prosecutor, Nicholas Bissell. You came for me, now I will kill right. you. He even writes letters to an ex-girlfriend, Melanie, who apparently he had gotten pregnant before the murders. What? Right. But you're worried about Linda cheating on you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, he also tried to write letters to his brother Josh and members of the Hey bro, you're the only other member left of this family. I'm coming for you next. (laughs) We don't have actual copies of these letters. This is just what I imagine a dumbass like him writing. Yes. So like, and he also like I said, also wrote some letters to the press. So, if you publish my story (laughs) like I said, nowhere could I ever find like any copies of any of these letters or that so it's no idea pretty much what he said in any of these what a shame um after his arraignment many lawyers were asked to take his case and they refused (laughs) i mean you're basically saying defend this guy but he's probably gonna threaten to kill but well not even that it's like defend this guy you really have no shot in winning this case, so um, Other than you're at this point. Yeah, at this point, you're just hoping that you can maybe get less jail time yeah. or something. Um, he ended up with two defense lawyers from the public defender's office, Michael Shale and Neil Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Shale defended him during the trial, and Hamilton took him over, like, during the penalty phase. Hmm. Um, the 
prosecution the prosecution presented evidence that proved Matthew had committed the murders. The evidence included video of the crime scene, statements from Matthew in Jamaica, the shotgun he used in the killings, two shotgun shells, and letter in the letters that Matthew had been writing. The reason the two shotgun shells were so definitive and basically pinning the murders on Matthew besides his statements and everything else. Literally, if he would have kept his mouth shut, nothing, if anything else, like, and if you didn't even have Linda as like a... Right. A somewhat eyewitness. He decided that on the shotgun shells, in his own handwriting, he was going to write on one of the shells, Mom, and on the other one, Dad. Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> and he's, he really thought that he could get away with this. Yeah. He, he's not the brightest like bulb in the pack, okay? Oh, clearly not. Man. Like, the audacity. You literally wrote mom and dad. Like duh. He also hollowed out the shells to get a bigger effect. So, like, not only did he want to basically be like, I did this, but also he right. wanted to make, he wanted to make it big. Right. Like, that is some pent-up aggression. aggression. I need to get a drink after that, but, jeez. Yeah. Um, so, there were over 200 letters collected. Uh-huh. So... This man was busy. Yeah. Threatening the whole world. Call him Alexander Hamilton. Like Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. He, Ooh, stop. he had he had a lot, but he apparently wanted to say. Um and what makes it interesting about the fact that all these letters got out and everything was his mail was supposed to be filtered through the prosecutor's office. <laughs> so he figured so no one caught. Well, no, he figured this out. Like, so he was smart enough to really figure this out. So he had other inmates or friends mail them instead. Oh, so please. It's, like, to me, that was interesting, especially as I'm getting into, like, basically what his defense right. <laughs> uses. Because, like he said, the only way you could possibly do this, like, win this, is if you pretty much say, he's insane. And, he, I mean, I'm and not... And, I mean, a, there, it's probably, definitely... I'm not a psychiatrist by any means, but, like, he's definitely got something going on with yes. him whether it's emotional or mental or yes there's definitely some sort of problems like he's definitely not all yeah. there so the defense had one witness dr harry brunt he examined matthew three times prior to the trial mm-hmm. once on march 5th once on march 24th of 1991 and then again on January 8th of 1992. Mm -hmm. Brent believed Matthew couldn't distinguish between right and wrong at the time he committed the murders. <clears throat> and so the defense tried to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. False. 
December 4th, 1992. Um, the jury deliberated for three hours and 45 minutes and found Matthew was, like, found him guilty mm-hmm. and charged him with six counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, one count of terrorist threats, one count robbery, uh, Two weapons charges, which made a grand total of 12 counts against this man. He was found guilty on all those. And now it came down to the jury to decide if they want to seek the death penalty. Which we have said, sometimes the death penalty is... It's a very gray area. Yes. So this is where the penalty stage comes in. And the defense brought in Dr. David Kirshner to testify on Matthew's behalf. And this is where Kirshner kind of coins a phrase called adopted child syndrome. He I've never heard of this. Yes. He tried to argue that the adoption is the root of the problem for for the child that is adopted and brought to therapy for reason, reasons other than adoption. So basically, he's trying to say he was... He was traumatized from being adopted. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doubting that that's a... I mean, it can be, but like... But as an excuse for all of this. Yes. Um, apparently, adopted child syndrome is found in 10% of adopted children, but not all turned violent. Obviously, or else we'd have way more stories about this. Right. Um describes an adopted child as having feelings of not belonging or a lack of identity. Uh, They often feel rejected by family and friends, triggering a violent nature in the child. Matthew never testified during this penalty stage. Good move on the I was going to say, it's probably the one smart thing he's done. But it didn't help him. Because on January 14th of 1993, Matthew Heikola was sentenced to two consecutive life terms with possibility of parole after 60 years. He was not sentenced to death. Um, so, Matthew won't be up for parole until 2051. <laughs> which seems like... So long, but really it's not. You guys yeah. think that's like, what, 30, 30 years? years now? Yeah. yeah. So he's like halfway through his sentence. But by the time he gets, like, if he does get parole, mm-hmm. he'll be 80 years old. So he'll have spent his life his already, whole life, pretty yeah. much. That's if he makes it that long. Right. <laughs> um, in a 1993 interview, uh, Matthew said... He didn't know what caused him to murder his parents. He stood by the defense of him not being sane at the time of the killings. My argument against that is, like, you were sane enough to bring your girlfriend back to it and show it to her and say, this is pretty much what's going to happen to you. But then you decided not to because y'all were going to run away together and you decided that y'all's love was worth more than... And there's also, there was so much planning into it. You yeah. literally wrote on shotgun shells, mom, dad. dad. like And hollowed the shell, like, yeah. yeah. You planned too much to try to say you weren't saying, which 
yes, maybe there's some form it of been a long not like stretch yeah. of insanity. Yes, for that level of commitment. Um, the remaining members of the Heikola family have all dealt with their grief in different ways. Um, his brother Josh refuses to have any sort of contact with Matthew. He, um, and he doesn't really have contact with anybody that will, like, remind him about this case. Right. Like, he has completely distanced himself. I, mean, I can't say I blame him. Yeah. Um, according to the show Your Worst Nightmare, he's a missionary, actually. So, like, he is literally trying to be as far away from this as he possibly can. His grandparents, um, have, like, they have split opinions. On the maternal side, they've decided to forgive him and have even started visiting him and taking his phone calls and that. So, like, I don't know if I could ever do that, but at the same time, it's probably such, like, a weight off of you. Yeah. And that's also still their family. Like, I don't know when he was adopted into the family, but... I never really... I don't think it ever really said anywhere. Yeah. But that's still their grandchild. Yes. Um, The paternal grandparents, on the other hand, have refused to forgive him. Um, Also, they're right. Yes. The grandmother on, um, like, the father... Like, his paternal grandparents like mother Mm -hmm. she actually had high blood pressure once like the murders took place and like it eventually ended up killing her right so that grandfather says it basically says he took not only his son son, but his daughter-in-law and now his wife's life so the grandfather has a lot of... Those are all valid feelings, too. Yes. But... That's pretty much all I have on this one, just because, like I said, it was one that you could have kept snowballing on and everything, but it's just... That was a wild ride. It was ride. crazy. And then, like... <laughs> we'll make sure these go up. But, like, this is the family picture. Yeah. So... That's dad. That's that's our Matthew. Okay. Doesn't he look so neglected? So neglected. He's in the middle of his parents while the other son stands on the outside. Yes. Linda is so beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, so yeah. And that's. Um. Oh, that's. That is her. I just. Okay. They, oh yeah. The one article changed um her name. Probably. But her. yeah, I don't know. Well, that was a yeah great. Like I said, it was one of those, like, if you watch it, it, the episode, where's it? The episode, like I said, it's Your Worst Nightmare. You can find it on Discovery Plus if you have Discovery Plus, is season one, episode five. It's called The Bad Son. Oh, so (laughs) creative. I mean... I think they took it off of a book that was actually written, like, about the whole thing called The Dark Sun. Okay. And they probably couldn't use that. So they called it The Bad Sun. And, like I said, if you watch that, obviously there's dramatization in it. So it's, like, 
yeah. your stereotypical <laughs> reenactment bad discovery. bad like acting stuff but like when it started i was just like what i was like oh my because it literally <laughs> starts with like the mom getting home from work and then like being like oh no 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 yeah and you just hear the shotgun and you don't see like what so then on. when it starts going through and that you see Matthew and the girlfriend going right. out to dinner and that, and then they get home and you're like, Oh, what's the surprise? And then she opens her eyes and that, and you, and it's the mom dead and that, and you're just like, well, that took a turn. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Well, I will definitely be watching that episode. So thank you for bringing it to our attention. Right. But yeah, like I said, that's all I got. So as your bartender, Sloan, bartender for this episode, I am going to introduce a new segment called The Last Call, which was an idea brought to us by our friend slash manager, but mostly friend, Sam. So shout out to Sam. Today, I am going to bring you a funny news story out of California. This is from NPR's website, and I'm pretty much going to read it as is because it's fairly short and it's just funny as is. So... Traffic came to a stop on California's Interstate 5 Friday morning after an armored car happened to spill, spill cash across the freeway just north of San Diego. Several drivers and passengers jumped out of their vehicles to grab what cash they could. The same! <laughs> right? <laughs> but the police want it all back. No thank you. <laughs> Make me! <laughs> the armored car was traveling north along the I-5 in Carlsbad at about 9.15am when one of the doors unexpectedly swung open and bags of cash flew out. Cars parked on the shoulder and in the middle of the road as motorists and passengers raced to collect the bills, mostly $1 and $20 bills, littered across the ground. But the California Highway Patrol is warning those who seize the moment to turn the cash in. Quote, I highly suggest to anybody that picked up cash out here, it's not your cash, so turn it in immediately to the CHP office in Vista. Uh, end quote. Two people were arrested at the scene for allegedly collecting what they could, and others turned in what they had collected. But there are other videos across social media showing plenty of people scooping up handfuls of cash along the freeway, and the police have reported that those videos have captured faces and license plates during the event. So that is why they are highly suggesting people turn it in. Because they have actually brought the FBI in to help do the face recognition and license plates. You know plates. what? <laughs> you know what? One, if you recorded that yourself, you're stupid. Right, right. Two. You know why were what? you not out there trying to get cash too, man? <laughs> Two. Why? Why are you punishing me for what karma has given me? Okay. But it wasn't even just other people like videoing other people and posting that. Like there were dumb people posting selfies of them grabbing cash. Well, I get that. No, what I'm saying is why is the police trying to make me turn in something that karma said here? You can have this. I mean, it, it, legally it doesn't belong to you, but also finders, keepers, losers, weepers, man. <laughs> like... Wait. That is the golden rule from kindergarten. <laughs> Man, that I would have grabbed all the cash that I could. Same. And run with it. You would have seen me. I have I always have like basically a spare wardrobe in the back of my car. I'd be fighting with a hood, <laughs> pulling that shit over and be like, let's go. <laughs> I've got blankets and stuff too. <laughs> so I also know today was a pretty heavy episode, so I have a cute little story to wrap up the last call as well. And this one is from the Huffington Post. 
Um, a little girl who lost a special teddy bear she'd had since she was adopted from Ethiopia. She thought it was gone forever when she lost it in the Glacier National Park last year. Her parents and family friends still held on to a glimmer of hope. Um, but thanks to a social media plea, the sharp eyes and soft heart of a park ranger and the closure of a hiking trail because of a grizzly bear activity on the same day, uh, the teddy bear was found and it's back in the arms of its six-year-old owner named Naomi Pascal in Jackson, Wyoming. The no. bear's return, which has earned 12,000 likes on the Facebook page, is a beautiful story that resonates um, with Naomi's dad and the senior pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Jackson Hole. It was just a story of hope and kindness and people just working together. It touched people's hearts. It gave them hope. It made them feel like there was no, there was good in the world, which I believe there is. And I do think that we all need a little good in the world. So a little six-year-old got her teddy bear back that was lost in a national park that we can't even find humans in. Right. But we found a teddy bear. So there is a glimmer of hope out there somewhere for us. And that is our wrap up for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Yep. Uh, if you like this last call, let us know. We'll try to put some like fun facts or funny news stories. Yeah, it's really going to be just about anything. Facts about tequila, funny news stories, uh, crazy something, laws. Yeah. Something to make our heavy <laughs> episodes go a little lighter down. <laughs> but remember to check our socials. We have our cocktails posted on there. We do a lot of fun stuff over on Instagram, TikTok. We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook page. They're all Tequila She Wrote. Our email is tequilasherote at gmail.com. If you have any requests or cocktail recipes for us to try, we'd love to hear them. Yep. And I guess we'll tune see you in next, next time. Yeah, tune in next time. <laughs>